Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, right off the bat, we have to address something. We have to address something from the epistle for today. And I bet you can guess what it is before I even say it out loud. It's Philippians 2.12. Well, the last part of verse 12. Because there, Paul, who so often reminds us about God's grace, his undeserved favor, writes this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul's wording may surprise you. It might even go further and it might disturb you. What is Paul saying here? That salvation comes by works, so you better get busy. It sure sounds that way. But let's just wait a minute. Thankfully, sometimes when things aren't so clear for us, there are places, other places in Scripture that can help us figure it out. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so in Paul's letters to other churches, the apostle clearly proclaims that salvation depends upon Christ's work. Our Lord's perfect life, which fulfilled the law on your behalf. Our Lord's death, which atoned for all of your sins. And his resurrection, which overcame evil and its power in you and for you. It's all about what Christ has done for us and us receiving that through God-given faith. So let's look at these things. I'm just not going to say that to you. I'll give you some examples. So for the, to the church in Rome, for example, Paul writes this. Therefore, because... I know it says since. It means because. Therefore, because we have been justified, declared righteous, right? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5, 1. And the church in Galatia likewise receives a similar proclamation. And so here's what Paul writes to them. We know that a person is not justified. By works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And then he writes this, because by works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. And that's Galatians 2. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is a little bit less corrective than some of his other letters, right? He doesn't have as much work to do in explaining justification and sanctification, right? Justification that we're declared righteous by, by Christ's merit and sanctification on God's work of working that faith in us and then and leading us in holy living. But uh, in his absence from them, Right, Because remember, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago. Uh, he's, in, he's in prison. He's been imprisoned in Rome. Uh, in his absence from, from them, he wants to make sure that they understand exactly what God is doing 
in their lives. When Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, can it be, could it be, that the apostle doesn't want his hearers to slip into bad and I want you to read evil. He doesn't want his hearers to slip into evil habits. Right? Oh, God's commands don't matter anymore. And thereby causing harm to neighbor and work against the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Could it be that that's his motivation? Or could it be that Paul doesn't want the Philippians taking any credit for the good works that now flow from their faith? Right? Not that they're saved, right? He gets that they're probably getting that. Uh, but that they don't take any credit for the good works that flow from their faith. Maybe he's telling them that. So which is it? I would submit to you that the answer is yes. It's both. You'll probably notice that Paul exhorts and admonishes his readers to do certain things. So if he's exhorting them, and instructing them to do certain things. That means they're not always coming naturally. Because the old Adam, even after we're converted, likes to hang around and disrupt things, Paul instructs the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And later on, <laughs> he tacks this on, and do all things without grumbling or disrupting. Now, the first part of this is hard enough, isn't it? To count others more significant. And he's speaking to uh, Christians within the confines of a congregation. Right? It's hard enough to count others more significant than ourselves. And to look out for the interests of others. Right? But even when we do those things. Right? And we, and we, and we say, okay, I'll do those things. Um, we might like to grumble and complain about it. Right? And I'm no different. And once we do those things, I think a lot of times our old Adam, um, our, our, our selfish pride, our human hubris, wants everybody to know about it. We want some accolades, some credit, some reward for what we have done. Uh, we commend ourselves for contributing or being the power plant for our own goodness. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul gives all the credit for goodness, that is, our life of faith, our life of sanctification, and of justification as well. All the goodness, though, where it rightly belongs, and that is with God. So here's what he writes. Here's the entirety of what I read to you in its context. Okay. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so see, they've, they've got that going, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then he says this, for it is God. All right, this is a very important part of this sentence. For it is God 
who works in you both to will, right, to do uh, things in the first place, and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. A professor of mine once explained it this way. Uh, it's Professor uh, Rosso. When someone does us a favor, we can say to that person, how good it is of you, of you. Right? It's coming from you. It's yours. How good of you to do this. And this is a simply an idiomatic way of acknowledging a kindness and recognizing a virtue, he says. But the statement is more than idiomatic. It is also heretical. That means against proper Christian teaching. Or at least it can be, he says. If you want to get technical about it, what you should say when someone renders you a kindness is how good in you to do this, not how good of you. You see, goodness, he says, is always something in us, never of us. So what's the difference? After the fall into sin, goodness is not something that is of us. Goodness is not something that we're born with. It's not something that we can even manufacture. It has to come outside of us. So God plants goodness in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sustains that goodness in us by that same spirit. He compels us. He animates us by the power of that spirit. Again, in the words of Paul, God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yet it's a common but dangerous thing to think of our goodness as something independent of God's work, right? I'm doing all these things. But it's equally dangerous on the other side to ignore or fight against God's working in us, thinking that they have no value. Works have no value. They do have value because they are from God and of God and they have value to our neighbor. It's a balancing act here, okay? It's a balancing act. We shouldn't take credit for God's work. I am doing good works. I, I, I. And at the same time, we don't want to despise what God is doing in us by saying, I don't have to do those things, so I'm not going to do those things. Thank God it's not up to you to change the outlook depending on which way you're feeling at the moment. Paul emphasizes the work that God has done in the midst of congregation at Philippi and by extension in our own. Have this mind among yourselves, he says, which is... Yours in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As you and I know, Christ is full of extraordinary goodness, full of extraordinary kindness. 
He became fully human, just like you and me, but without original sin, without that corruption. And yet he takes his place, right, amid a fallen creation and all of that entails. So he gets hungry, he gets tired, he gets weary, just like you and I do. And he deals with people who, you know, aren't always the nicest people in the world. You know, you can't really do anything to appease some of them. So you've got people who try to trick him, people who try to trap him, people who try to discredit him, people who try to harm him, people who even try to kill him. Right? We know the story. But as we look to our Lord Jesus and his goodness, we see extraordinary goodness and kindness. In every moment of his life, he counts the needs of others more significant than his own, right? Your needs more significant than his own. He looks not only to his own interests, which are pure and good, but also to the interests of others and what they truly need. And he does all of those things without ever grumbling or disputing. Just listen to what Paul writes, and you heard it before, but it bears repeating. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right? I'm going to do things independent. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. There it is. Obedient, according to his human nature. Obedient to the Father. Even to the point of death. Even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Not of God's name, of course. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means he's God to the glory of God, the Father. Paul marvels. I mean, he marvels at God's goodness in Christ. Jesus, and so should we. Because of God's kindness, God's goodness in Christ Jesus, we can certainly say to God how good it is in you to do this, but we can also say of God how good it is of you to do this, how good it is of you to do this, because no one is good but God alone. We have to remember that God's activity for us, we're, we're, we're Lutheran, we're used to hearing about our justification, right? Our salvation uh, by Christ's redemptive work. But God's activity doesn't stop there. That is the point. For we can also say to God how good it is in you and how good it is of you to work faith and its fruit in us. That's what Paul means. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling means to stand in awe of God's goodness to us and to really give it deep consideration. 
And we dare not minimize or even reject this goodness at all. But live, live as its undeserving recipients by the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And we do have that gift. After all, Paul begins this whole section, this whole chapter 2, by highlighting the work of God in us, in you. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, he writes, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Because God is so good, we do have this mind. We have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone. We dare not take credit for our works. I. But we dare not resist doing works either. Through spirit-laden word and sacrament, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How good in him and of him to do all that. Amen. I may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.